What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, this is Pia Baranchini, and welcome to Everything is the Best, the podcast where I get vulnerable and make others do it with me. The goal here is to deep dive into interesting people's journeys, finding common denominators, and hopefully making you feel not so alone. So let's laugh, let's cry, and let's get inspired to live our best lives. Hello, my darlings. Erin Foster is one of my favorite follows. She is unabashedly herself and makes me actually laugh out loud. But like most humans I follow, I really didn't know what her childhood was like, how she found the confidence to really be herself. And of course, I had so many questions for the notorious single girl about finding her husband. We discussed the importance of truly finding yourself, how the mistakes we made in our 20s make us perfect in our 30s, her career path and her relationship with Simon. This is a glorious episode you do not want to miss. I would like to just dive in to like growing up stuff because I think everybody knows who you are now, what you're doing now, but like, I would love to know what like childhood stuff, like where you grew up, what you were like when you were little. Cause Um, I have a blended family too. So I know that there's like a lot of moving. Yeah. Don't recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) If you can choose your childhood, (laughs) you know, I think that it's, I grew up in LA I grew up in like Calabasas, Malibu. My parents got divorced when I was three and it was shitty. And it's just you and Sarah from no. that marriage. So Sarah, and I, Sarah and I have a full sister named Jordan. Our younger oh, sister. yes, 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 yes. She lives in New York. Very close with her. She pregnant is, at your wedding. She was pregnant at my wedding. She's Otto's mom, which is how she's known sort of now. <sighs> that kid is. It's crazy. Out of this world. It's really wild. He is like a phenomenal child. And they have a second kid now too. And then we have two half sisters. Uh, my dad has two kids from other uh, relationships before us. So there's five daughters altogether. Yeah. So uh, yeah, my parents got divorced when I was really young. It was definitely a pretty nasty divorce. We grew up, I don't know. It's like, you can always look at everything from different perspectives. You can look at how lucky you work and you can look at how unlucky you were. And mm-hmm. I think that, my battle as a teenager and a young person was growing up around a lot of tension and seeing too much, knowing too much, having a lot of anxiety, uh, having a stepmom that wasn't nice to us. And, you know, everyone's trying their best. Like my dad was a loving dad and my mom was a loving mom, but like they still also made mistakes all the time. And like, you look back and Sarah was just older than me, like a year older than me, year and a half. And everything was easy for her. She just was like, she was just born with like great luck. You know, a sport was easy. A class was easy. Friends was easy. Just like boys was easy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, tripping behind her, like accident prone and awkward and braces and blushing and getting embarrassed all the time and not smooth. And like, it just felt like every door she like walked through easily would like slam in my face, you know, it was like very frustrating. (laughs) And I think, you know, Sarah and I've worked a lot on like this idea that when your parents aren't getting along and you have chaos around you, you want your sibling to be your ally. Mm -hmm. And Sarah didn't want to be my ally. She wanted to be alone. 
And so Jordan was my ally, my little sister. And so um, I was a pretty angry teenager. And um, I think I tried to become into a, to turn into a happy adult. But I always, you know, when you grow up privileged and you grow up into a family that's successful or has a person that's made money and people are aware of that, mm-hmm. you're just always fighting the stigma that your life has been really easy and that everything's been handed to you mm-hmm. and you haven't worked hard for anything and you're spoiled. and you know, nothing is that black and white and nothing is that simple. And so you feel this, I felt, um, a need to constantly prove myself and like constantly prove to someone that I have work ethic or, um, that, you know, no one feels sorry for you when you say you like grew up in Malibu and your parents are divorced. It's like not enough to get sympathy (laughs) from anyone, you know, so you kind of can't lean on that. But I think everybody's childhood is a combination of what's happening around you and what's happening inside of yourself. You know, that's what Mm -hmm. you feel the most. And like, I was unhappy regardless of where that came from or who it came from or what circumstance it came from. I just felt like I couldn't get out from under this like feeling that of anxiety all the time. And so when I was like 15, I was like, I really want to go as far away from here as I possibly can. Like where no one in the world knows anything about me. They don't know who, what my sister's name is, or they don't Mm -hmm. know who my dad's name is, or not that my dad's like so famous or anything, but just living in a small town where people- I was going to say LA is really particular. Everybody knows everything about one another. Yeah. And there's just, I was like, I just want to go somewhere where- where I, I see what the other parts of the world feel like. And so I went to boarding school in Switzerland when I was 16 and I just like sent myself, like I begged to just go really far away to this like tiny little village. And what was that like? It was honestly really amazing because it was really hard and it was really, you're really far away. And yeah. it was, um, it was a really huge growth experience for myself because I had been pretty sheltered like emotionally, I had not been sheltered at all, but like in my life I had been. And you get to like break out and, and go somewhere where you're in a safe environment, but you kind of have to learn how to be your own person for the first time. Yeah. And it was really important for me. And it changed the course of my life for sure. And you were there for two years? No, embarrassingly, I was only there for one year because <laughs> I got my heart broken and decided to not go back for my senior year because I couldn't be in the entire country. It was whole, it was all sworn off because of my boyfriend dumping. Him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was still like immature, you know. Yeah, and, and like I'm not gonna be in this tiny town with fronds anymore. I gotta get the fuck out of here. No, I was just like, <laughs> I need to go. I thought I needed to go home to have one year at home before I went to college because I was like, oh, I'll just never live at home again. Oh yeah. Never end up going to college, so it was a really bad plan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you didn't go to college? Mm-mm. No, I think that like I think when you. I don't know for whatever, however I grew up, I was just so eager to prove myself that I was really eager to start working and start like making my own money so that I could feel self-sufficient. So I wasn't under the thumb of this, like the stigma that I, you know, always was plagued with of like, nothing's your own. Everything's been handed to you. I went through the same thing when I moved to New York because I didn't like move into the dorms. I moved to like an apartment on the Lower East Side and met like normal people. Did you go to NYU? I went to Parsons and all like the normal people I met, I met were like, Oh my, like, just were like, you are clearly like a privileged asshole. I'm like, obviously I'm very, I don't know anything about your childhood. I just grew up normal in Pasadena. Like my dad was a dentist. Like we didn't, Mm -hmm. but it was, you know, I never, I went to private school, but it wasn't like Mm -hmm. we were daffy ducking in gold coins. Like I had a job since I was 12. I always worked like, but, you know, I had like a dad who was very much like he had CTE from football and was an alcoholic and like oh, wow. was like very like, you know, verbally abusive because of that. He couldn't help it. It was like sad. I would see him being mm-hmm. like, but, you know, I understand on a smaller level that perspective of like everyone assuming that yeah. everything was so easy for you. And so I dropped out of college to start working because... I remember like going to bars and people would be like, like you go to college. And I was like, my parents aren't paying for it. They're like splitting my rent with me. But that made me like an LA asshole. So I dropped out of school and started working. Yeah. Because I was just like, I have to prove everybody wrong. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think everybody can acknowledge and admit that having resources available to you, like I definitely had, and like, it sounds like you had as well 
it absolutely gives you an advantage in life. Of course it does. If you're not worrying yes. about having to be homeless, if you yes. are worrying about the debt Food. you're accumulating from college or your car payment or whatever, those, those stresses are absolutely not a part of the equation. And like, I would never deny that that is a huge advantage, but it doesn't have anything to do with where you're at emotionally as a person. Yeah, or what you're capable of or like what your future is going to be or how you navigate through the world. It also doesn't give you a work ethic and it doesn't dictate how talented you're going to be at something, Mm -hmm. how hard you're going to work at something, how what your ability is going to be to uh, work with other people. Mm -hmm. Those things are not part of that. So I think, you know, I grew up around a lot of kids who had a lot of privilege and they never did anything with it. It didn't give them any of the tools that, you no, need you see a lot of kids that happens too. We're just like, oh, okay. Yeah, but you are lucky in that. Like, I was really fortunate that my dad would bring me as his date to dinner parties with really interesting people, smart people. Mm-hmm. You're around people who are successful, who have done something important with their life, something interesting with their life. I would learn. My dad would always let me like debate with people when I was like an idiot, fourteen year old, and I would yeah, say, that's, like, that's, that's, that's how. That's perfect. That's it was how so you helpful. Raise your kids. I loved saying I'm an atheist or I'm an anarchist. I would like say things I didn't even understand. I just like wanted to think <laughs> about something. And these people were like, oh, okay, tell me why. I'm like, fuck God, I don't believe in God. I don't believe this. Like, okay. Like, I just loved a hot take. And, you know, it does give you the ability to, you're socializing with different people that, you know, have interesting takes. The funny thing to me too, is that we're all trying, there's not like a single person who's like not trying to be successful, the definition of success is always different, but everyone's trying to be successful. So it's like, and we go through this all the time because like Davide grew up not like he would get one pair of shoes a year. Mm. So like, he's like now, like all the time we talk about like, what are our kids? You know, I, I, I live in my childhood home, which, you know, my dad bought this house for like $200,000 in the you 80s. You live in your childhood home? Yeah. That's so cute. Yeah, I know. I'm buying it from my mom. It's That's um. Cute. I know it's a special house. And my dad bought, this is like the pride and joy with this house that he had. And, and now we live here together with, and my mom's here with us. Cause I love having her here, obviously. And Davide's like, how are, this house is already like, Davide grew up in like the tiniest house that his dad was so proud of. And he's like, how am I going to teach my kids what I learned growing up innately by being in this house? Like they're already privileged children. And I was like, yes, but like your family dreamed this for you to like, move somewhere and make something of yourself. So like, we can't be mad at children of successful people when like everyone's fucking goal is ultimately to be successful. It's like our job to just raise them to be like interested, interesting people with like a good work ethic and not hand yeah. them tons of shit. The values you're given are so much more impactful than... Big time. Today, we're spicing it up a bit. As you know, I am a huge fan of Woo Mar Play, specifically their coconut love oil. And so I'm super excited to tell you about their new product called Woo Vibes, a clitoral vibrator and chic travel case for better sex on the go. And let's get this straight. This is not your run-of-the-mill back alley store type of vibrator. Vibes is so cute with white and gold tones and a special travel case designed to keep your toy clean and discreet for after play. It has a heart-shaped handle and is the perfect accessory for solo play or partner play. Don't knock it till you've tried it. Bringing vibes into the bedroom with a significant other is a game changer. Vibes has five functions. So basically there's five different rhythms to play with until you find your perfect vibe. It's made with premium silicone and designed for clitoral stimulation. So love oil and vibes are basically best friends. And when you're done playing, just unwrap one of Woo's freshy towelettes to wipe your vibes and then store it back in the travel case. So easy, and no one will know what you've been up to, but woo. Vibes is the only vibrator on the market with a super chic travel case that looks good on any vanity and blends into your beauty shelf. No more sex toys in your sock drawer, ladies. When the whole package is this chic and discreet, you can take Vibes anywhere. To Cabo, to your best friend's wedding, in the shower, it's up to you. Head over to Woo More Play and use code BEST, B-E-S-T, for 20% off your order of Woo Vibes today. That's 20% off with code B-E-S-T. Trust me, you will keep coming back for more. 
Hi, I'm Caroline Stanbury, and I am Divorced Not Dead. Fresh off the back of my divorce, I'm bringing real stories, real life, real talk on all things that aren't said. Why do we put so much pressure on ourselves for the happily ever after? Does our love story really have to be one great lengthy novel, or can we be happy with a book of short but exciting love stories? I guess we'll find out on Divorce Not Dead, and lucky me, you'll be joining me for the journey, so buckle up. And so when you came back to LA, did you move to New York or anything or you just stayed in LA and started working? I always, I always really wanted to. And like today I regret never moving to New York. I think I was just always kind of like scared of missing out on something, you know, when you're in your twenties and you think like the world revolves around your friends and your life and things will change. And also when um, your twenties in LA was when LA was like popping. Oh, it really was popping. I mean, I wasn't like fully immersed in the scene because I wasn't cool until I was like 26 or 27. So I was like, oh, my way out. But uh, yeah, it was like a really fun time to be in LA. But I didn't, like, I didn't do anything that worthwhile with my 20s. You know, I look back at it and I'm like, fuck, I really should have started earlier. And like, mm-hmm. I think it just takes, not for everyone, but for me, like it took struggling through my 20s to figure out who I was so I could implement it in my 30s. Yeah. Which I think is totally fine because you're not supposed to know that much in your 20s. Yeah. I mean, I'm so much happier in my 30s. You just, you understand yourself so much, so much more. And I was still like growing out of my teenage emo angst Mm -hmm. in my 20s. But the second half was great. I found like writing and stuff. Oh, is that when you started? That's awesome. How, what did you like, were you writing privately at home or were you like, oh, I could do something with this? I always like secretly wanted to be a writer. I just didn't really know how to do it or like where to start. You know, I didn't go to college and like, I didn't do well in school. I failed out of 10th grade. Like I never had some teacher that was like, you're special or you're smart or you're going to do something. Like I didn't really know if I was special or going to do something. So I didn't really have like, I didn't really believe in myself yet. And I think I always had this personality that was a bit like contrary and I would make jokes or be sarcastic and it wouldn't always land and I couldn't figure out like what my right move was. And, and then I started a blog when that was like a, like a blogging mm-hmm. thing, you know, and I started this blog called totally confident and completely insecure.com. And I decided to like privately start blogging and use that as my like vessel to try to be myself. And I wasn't trying to be cool. And I wasn't trying to be tougher than I really am. I was like vulnerable and I was, I would try to be funny. I would write random scenes. Like I didn't have final draft or anything. I would like try to like mimic what final draft looked like and write around. <laughs> I thought it was funny or I, I'd write about my fears of getting older or being alone or a bad date or whatever. And I would like post it on Facebook, which was like the only way you could find stuff back then, you know, mm-hmm. or like Twitter. And then it started getting like a little bit of traction and people really liked it. And it was kind of the first time that anybody had ever validated that side of me. Like, oh, you, you wrote this thing and it resonated with me. Or you mm-hmm. wrote this thing and it was like, just like my experience. And I realized that when I was being myself and I was being really open and honest and vulnerable and being uh, in a lot of ways, the version of myself that a lot of people told me not to be, you know, mm-hmm. you're too open, you say too much, you're too honest, you you're too self-deprecating. And I learned when I had that blog that that actually was my superpower. My superpower was connecting with other women based on my own experiences because they were similar to theirs. And that I had an ability to share my experience in a way that other women really related to. And it made them feel less alone in their experience. I had the, did the I had a blog called fighting the war against blowing it. And I would write really vulnerable stories about getting dumped and growing up and living in New York. And the emails I would get from strangers is what made me be like, I'm okay. Like this is, there's something here. It makes me feel good. I can connect with other people. We're all going through the same thing. This is magic. Yeah. That's, you know, that's, probably was the uh, beginning of what's great about the internet. Mm-hmm. And then it, we just took it way too far. And now, well, <laughs> uh, now it's not sep- connecting us at all. It's like separating us. But at the time, I think that it did give so many people a platform, not a platform like today, but you know, an, an ability mm-hmm. to connect with people that they would not other, otherwise come in contact with. And that's when I realized that I should be a writer and that that's what I'm going to do. 
And how long, and this is where I'm also like, when people talk shit about the internet or Instagram or all these things, I'm like, it gave you an outlet. Like it mm-hmm. gave you confidence and it gave you that push. Like we don't all have to follow this. Like you go to college situation. No, like, at all. Cause also that no. puts people in debt. I'm still paying off. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's just so fucked up. And, and so like, well, how long did you do that for? And then like, where did, where did that translate to? So I had that blog for a while and then I wrote for daily candy. Do you remember daily candy? Yes. I really felt cool when I did that. I would get paid $50 for every, (laughs) um, and I had day jobs the whole time. Like I worked at Warner brothers records and a cubicle there for like a year and a half. I worked at like, I had like random desk jobs while I was doing this. And then, um, and then I became friends with Sophia Rossi and she started hello giggles when we were friends and I started the single girl's guide. Mm -hmm. And it was just like my experience. And then it became popular on her site. And then I got, uh, I started doing like a little bit of standup. And then she connected me with this guy, Ollie Opst, who is a manager at Three Arts. And Three Arts is like, you know, big Mm -hmm. comedy uh, management company. And he was like, I want to sign you. And I said, I've never written a script before. I don't know how to write a script. And he's like, I'm going to teach you. And so I wrote this script with him. I mean, he managed me through it. He taught me how to write a joke. He taught me where an act break goes. He taught me how to use final draft. And I wrote a script and it ended up being like this script that got me represented at CAA and it was great. And then it got me my first writing job on an NBC Ryan Murphy show. And then that started my writing career. That's so awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. It was a whirlwind, like awesome, amazing. This all happened at the age of like, like when I started the NBC show, I was, um, I turned 30 when I was there. So it's just kind of a reminder for women in their twenties. I think that like, yes. <laughs> you know, you have this idea of 30 is this, I don't know. It's not like that it's like an end point, but it's like, Oh, that's when everything should be figured out mm-hmm. by the time I'm 30. And like, for me, at least, and for a lot of women that I'm friends with, 30 was the starting point. 30 was the Same. point where you're like, Oh, I now know how to use all the mistakes I've made and turn them around into something useful and something that's actually going to serve me instead of like take away from my life. Cause in your twenties, it's cooler to go out at night than it is to get up early in the morning mm-hmm. and be busy and be efficient. It's like, you don't want to miss out on anything. Mm-hmm. And so your priorities are all fucked up. And then when you're in your thirties, I feel like life forces you to slow down and you start to appreciate different things. And it, it, all like sort of serves the same purpose, which is like bettering your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That shift from like destructive to like, I need to make a good decision (laughs) happens really quickly. And I think a lot of that comes from like you and I were both like, I mean, did you have like a serious relationship in your twenties? I had a couple, but like. I had like three horrific, terrible ones. I mean, I've never had a single like good boyfriend until my husband. Yeah. Same. And I spent all the time in between, just like out on the town so hard, like dating so hard. And I loved it. I mean, I was explaining this to my husband when we first started dating because he had like had like a little bit of like a misogynistic view of like, I could sleep with whoever I want, but like women are special creatures. And and I was like, bitch, I grew up watching Sex in the City. Like that's what I watched in high school. And then I moved Mm -hmm. to New York. So like, what do you think I'm going to be like? Your husband's Italian, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my husband's Russian, so you know we're not too far off. I have had sex with five thousand people. You are a virgin. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> exactly how it. Is. You were like we would tell. He told my mom was. I was like, so like, what was it like? Is your like being like Italian and single in New York? And he was like, Mom, are you kidding me? It was just like, and I was like, so what would you see? Like, would you see with like a couple of people? He'd be like, yeah, like two to three women a week, and I was like consistently and he was like yeah and I was like that's like hundreds of people and yeah, he was cool. like yeah and I was like don't oh, you love single coffee day stories hey he doesn't understand how much I love it and he won't really tell me all of it but it may it, like don't do you love that about your husband I live for single Simon stories does Simon tell you he's I have to force it out of him I have to force it out of Simon too I don't know I just think like I think it's hot well, how old were you when you met your husband? Uh, how old am I? I'm 33, like 29. It still feels so young to me. Like I met Simon at 35, I'm 38 now. And it just feels like you've, you've both lived so many lives that you, yeah. you 
can't like deny it when you meet each other, you know, you can't, I'm so, I mean, I like not so grateful for some of the like horrific, like sociopaths that I let in my life, but, <laughs> but I am glad that I had relationships with the wrong people who treated me badly because you appreciate the mm-hmm. good, the goodness in someone so much, um, so much more. Cause I really know what it's like to, to be with someone that you just instinctively know is not your person and you can't yeah. understand why you're with them and like putting up with their shit. And you know, that nagging feeling where you want it to be right, but you just kind of know it's not, or like the person says one thing and you're like, Oh, we uh, don't look the world the same way. Yes. We don't want yeah. the same kind of life. Like we don't view things the same way. And I don't want to, that view- was my ex-boyfriend who I like lived with. And I was like, Oh, this is going to happen. Like he has a great family. He's older than me. We live in a great house. Like it's all lined up to be my future. And I would just say things and I would just be like, Oh, fuck me. Like I got to listen to that. Mm-hmm. But then you have to start over. And then that's scary. Cause I'm like, I'm just going to go back into this like dating world. I know dating's really hard, but then I flipped it on myself. Instead of being like, this sucks. I was like, this is fun. This is like a fun game. One day I'm going to meet someone and it'll all be over. And I just need to like, enjoy this as much as possible. And like, that's what I met. <laughs> the holiday season is approaching my friends, which means late nights, rich foods, and one too many drinks. This year, treat you and your loved ones to the gift of radiant health and prepare your body for the indulgences to come with Sakara. If you follow me on Instagram, you know that I've done this program many, many times. Sakara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what you eat. The menu of ready-to-eat chef-crafted breakfasts, lunches, and dinners changes weekly so you will never get bored, and it's delivered fresh anywhere in the U.S., Restore digestive harmony, regulate cravings, shed excess weight, and get holiday-worthy glow just in time for the season. Along with the meal delivery programs, they also have cult favors wellness products like the best-selling metabolism super powder and nutrient-rich supplements, including a new prenatal vitamin. And for a limited time, Sakara is granting you early access to their only sale of the year with 25% off site-wide with code best early access. That's 25% off your entire order when you go to sakara.com and enter code best early access at checkout. Enter code best early access at checkout for 25% off your entire order. That's sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A.com. I think that when you, I mean, it's different for everyone. There's no science to it, but I do think that a lot of women are always wondering like, how do I in my thirties relax and not freak out and panic that I haven't met my person yet. And you really have to work on being happy with or without that person. You it don't know when they're going to come along. You have to be happy. You know, what's so funny is that Simon and I found out once we met that we had a lot of friends in common, but we never knew that the other existed. We'd never heard each other's names or anything. And we realized like one random time that we fully met each other. And it was the night I met you when I was with Brady at, oh. um, at a uh, Marvin. Oh Marvin? yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Was some like big birthday party. Yeah. You guys were sitting at the bar. We we're sitting at the bar. Brady is my stepbrother and we we're sitting in the bar and I met you and Brady saw like a bunch of guys at the table. He saw like Jonah and Max maybe and uh-huh. sitting with them. And we walked over to the table and said, hi, I like met everybody. And we both realized that we met that night, but we didn't actually really meet for like three more years. That's so funny. No, it is funny. You guys were in each other's orbit, but just waiting for the right moment. And then how did you guys meet? Met at the gym. What? How did I not know? I know. It's so weird. I'm so not a gym person. I don't identify you as a gym person. I am so not a gym person, but (laughs) I started working out at this place, um, studio. Do you know this place? It's like a really small little, like, so it's a tiny, it's like an office building. And my phone just told me that Gwen Stefani and Blake Shelton are engaged. (gasps) Um, I love them. About time. It's been like five years. I was wondering Um, that was going to happen. Also, it's funny that like a news alert tells me that's like a CNN news alert. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I went to this gym studio. It's really tiny. So you you have to be with a trainer. There's only like two other people at the same time. 
and he and I were like clearly on the same schedule. So I'd see him in there. That's so hot. I know. And I would like see him doing pull-ups and I don't know, there was something about him that I was just like, I was really like drawn towards him, but I, I had such bad taste in guys that I thought, Oh, this guy looks too like wonderful and pure. Like I would never, how I felt about Davide. I was like, there's no way that this normal, well-dressed functioning adult is going to be my boyfriend. Yes. Cause you think you need to be with someone who's like so fucked up. It's a good reminder that you kind of have to be open. Like I always knew what I wanted my husband to feel like for me, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know like who he was in the world, you know? Mm -hmm. And Simon looked too like good for me. He looked Mm -hmm. too pure. He was always smiling. He seemed like he had like such goodness in him. I was like, I would ruin that goodness for sure. Like there's no world where it would work. And it turns out that he has, does have all that goodness, but he also is like cocky, which is what I needed. You know, he Mm -hmm. has an edge and he's good. And so we worked out next to each other for like three months and I developed a crush on him. And so I like slid into his DMs. I love that. Mm-hmm. Cause you never know what's going to happen if you just take that little chance. I know two glasses of wine by yourself on a Thursday night <laughs> really lead you to the right thing. But it's so funny looking back. Cause like my stepbrother Brady, who, you know, he used to come over to my house on like Mondays after work. He'd say, Oh, I'm going to play basketball on your street. Can I come to your house? Like for an hour in between work and basketball. I'd be like, okay, cool. And he was playing in Simon's basketball game that was on my street for like two years. He'd be at my house on Monday night. Weird. And he used to be like, come watch us play. And I'm like, no, I'm good. Like watching your like random, like Beverly Hills basketball. <laughs> it was Simon's basketball game. So we were around him. He never told me whose basketball game, like, we didn't know each other existed. And, and then it was just really obvious really fast. Cute. Like, How long did you date? You guys were got engaged pretty fast, right? We got engaged after a year, but then we got married three months later. But the whole thing felt fast because... Yeah. I think it feels fast just because, you know, sometimes the, the buildup to being serious with each other is so long. And for Simon and I, it was so clear, so fast. That happened when you're in your 30s too, though. Yeah. I mean, I was 35 years old. Like you, you just like, no. And very quickly mm-hmm. it was like, even when you're trying to deny it, like my girlfriends early on were like, Oh, this is, that's, this is your person. I was like, what? No, it's been two weeks. They're like, no, no, no. It's, I can feel it. It's different. And Simon for me, he, I mean, Simon's just the best person I've ever met. Like, it's just, there's never been a single moment since I met him that I was not like, it wasn't the clearest thing on earth to me that this is like the only human being who's ever breathed air that I could be with. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's some weird cosmic shit, but it's like- the You and I have the same personalities, just like diary of the mouth, like always saying too much. Like I was like a chicken with my head cut off for a while. And like, it's just all of a sudden, it's just like, woof, like the center happens. Yeah. And you everything- You don't like yourself, but you don't. No, that would be a disaster. Mm-hmm. No, and Dobby has the same thing where I was like, He's like nice and sweet. And then I was like, damn, like, it's, and I hate to say it like this. It's just for lack of a better way to describe it. But I'm almost like scared of him. Mm-hmm. Like his strength is like, I can't get away with anything with him. And like, that really was a, was a real big detector for, I was like, that's my person because everyone else, I was like, oh, I can get away with that or I can do this or whatever. Like some sort of like disregard for certain things. But I was like, this one is like really commanding me, mm-hmm. like do the right thing or like act a certain way. Yeah. And don't you feel like, I think it's really important to find someone who's not punishing. Yes. And who Cause that's abusive. You make those mistakes. And like, I mess up all the time. I, I have a harsh tone or I get mad too quickly or mm-hmm. I a fight that's unnecessary or I get defensive and Simon doesn't punish me for it, but he stops me. And he's like, just stop. What are you doing? Like, but he's not like, why are you like that? Why are you doing this? You know, he like slows down and looks at the root cause instead of like the behavior. He can like mm-hmm. see the difference. And I think that's, I don't know about you, but there's no way because so many women always want to understand what I wanted to understand it three years ago when I was single. Like, what's the trick? How do you, how do you know? How do you meet the right person? And I think that there's no way to control the person that's going to come into your life other than the work you're doing on yourself. Absolutely. You feel, you feel the same way. I feel exactly the same. What I was doing was preparing Mm -hmm. me 
to be able to be with someone good, preparing me to be with somebody who would make me look at myself Mm -hmm. and, and like really trust someone and really be trustworthy and like really show up. Cause it's not easy. If you want to be with someone who's healthy, who expects and demands for you to show up and be a real person and be honorable and truthful and vulnerable, like you have to work on yourself. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I've seen, I mean, you see relationships like that where someone like has it together and someone else is kind of like creating some sort of chaos and you're like, the like no, that's the person that you want to end up with wouldn't accept a toxic relationship. Not at all. No. What was the work that you were doing to prepare? Like, were you going to therapy? Were you, I mean, working out is also a good sign that you're like have a schedule and a healthy regimen. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was in the happiest place of my life professionally. I had just uh, written and uh, starred in and made a pilot at Fox that I was really proud of. And it was really hard. And it was like, I'd never been busier. And I was really satisfied with like myself in my own life and the work that I was doing. And I was making money and I just felt like good about myself. Mm-hmm. And I had good friendships. And I decided, I looked at my girlfriends who were my age and single. And the way that they were like freaking out and panicking. And I was like, I do not want to be those girls. Cause when you turn 35, you're not there yet. And you're also married. So you don't need to worry about it. But <laughs> when you turn 35 and you're single, it like sounds different. You're not in your early thirties anymore. Like 35 mm-hmm. sounds different on a date. A guy knows like no 35 year old woman is fucking around. She that does was- not have a day to lose. <laughs> you cannot waste her time. And there's, it's really hard for it to not like put a lot of pressure on a relationship. Absolutely. And you can't pretend that you're not wanting to get married and settle down because you have to be truthful. People can feel the truth. And so I really worked on being proud of my age and not acting embarrassed of it. Not saying like, uh, I don't worry about how old I am. I'm, you know, I'm like, th- don't act embarrassed or ashamed. Like I leaned right in. I'm 35 years old. I'm happy, but I do want to get married and have kids, but I don't know when it's going to happen. Maybe it happens tomorrow. Maybe it happens when I'm 41 and I have to like adopt two kids. And that's what happiness looks like. Mm-hmm. I have to be on board with whatever it looks like. So there's no pressure on this, but I do want those things to happen. I'm not above it. I'm not going to pretend like I don't want to have kids or get married but I just, I can't control when it's going to happen. So I have to live my life and be happy. Mm -hmm. And Simon felt my happiness and he, it was attractive to him. Mm. And I would go to therapy every Monday and I would talk about dates I'd been on and I would cry like, fuck this like really nice guy. Like I, he likes me and he has a good job and I never want to see him again. I find him repulsive. Like what is wrong with me? And I would analyze and understand like why I was drawn to the wrong people and like why I kept making the mistakes and what thing I was chasing from my childhood to fix. And I tried to like work it out to like actually live as an adult instead of live with like the wiring that was put in me at Mm -hmm. six years old. And I'm like trying to, you know, get my dad's attention or whatever. Like you, you have to, (laughs) like, you have to like go backwards and like work out why you're, if you understand why you're doing the things you're doing, it, it, it makes it easier to stop doing them. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. I've always, this is when Davide and I, we have a section on here where we always give like relationship advice. And that's the thing we always bring up is like, we'll get these questions about being even like in your late twenties, like in your thirties and like single and how do I find them? We're both just like, Whoa, you have so much work to do. If you're like in that panic mode about being single, it's not happening for you. Like mm-hmm. you take like eight steps back because it is that calmness. It is that confidence that will come that is so attractive. Like anything, you can't fake those things. They have to be authentic. They have to be real because everyone can feel. Something. Men can feel that stuff too. Yeah, guys. Everyone can. can. Everyone can. Absolutely. You know, when you're trying to make someone, when someone's trying to make you jealous or if someone really is just like living their life. So how is the transition from, which like I kind of went through to kind of like identifying yourself. We went through this and Carrie Bradshaw went through this. Identifying yourself as like a single woman to being like a wife. Has that been any bit of a, like an adjustment for you or not? Yeah, of course it's an adjustment. I mean, for me, I, I, uh, the way I connected in my work 
was always as a single person who was like, not going to figure it out. And that's like, was my connection to other women. So I felt like I was sort of like abandoning everyone when I got Mm -hmm. happy, got married. And, and I never want to be like preachy and like, I figured it all out and you can too, you know, (laughs) not, um, like a perfect science, but I do feel like, like Simon tells me sometimes it's like, you always think you have to connect on something negative. Like, I have yeah. to see a woman and be like, oh, I've been through that too. Like, or, oh, I was miserable before. Or, well, because oh, that's I'm where the relatability right. comes is like you connected with so many people over those like relatable negative things. And that's also where comedy comes from. Mm-hmm. So to shift that is really hard. Yeah. So it's hard when someone's like, how's, how's quarantining since you got married? It's so hard for me to be like, honestly, we're really happy. And instead <laughs> yeah. of like, oh, we're going to kill each other. We just had a fight the other day. Let me tell you, don't worry. It's not that great over here either. Simon's like, that's not even true. Like, <laughs> we are happy. Why do you think you need to say that? And I spiral. I'm like, I don't know. I just feel like it's so like abandoning someone. My oh, girlfriend yeah. is 40 and single and quarantined, losing a year of her fucking life. And I'm just like, oh my God, we're having the life of the, you know, we're living it up. We're having the time of our lives. We watch a new show every night. We drink wine <laughs> in bed. We have sex on Sunday afternoons. Like, I don't know. Like, is anyone going to connect with that? And so he tries to remind me that like, you don't have to connect over something negative because that is what I'm used to. And that is an adjustment for me to be on the other side of things and just let myself be happy. I don't know. It's sometimes it's hard to give in to being happy. Well, it's also, especially when it's been your narrative since you were little. Yeah, it's true. There's something called like, my therapist told me it's called like dis dysthymia there's like something like when you've had a lot of anxiety as a kid and you're like conditioned that something's going to go wrong Mm -hmm. that it's sort of like there's always this underlying layer of like I don't like use I don't love using the word depression because it sounds like so heavy and dark but there's just sort of this underlying layer of like what's going to go wrong yeah I think that all the time lean anxious you know it's very I have I really struggle with that I have a hard you done like insane things to Simon from that like where he like goes out of town. Like I got so weird last time Dominic was out of town. I was like, I know you fucked someone last night. <laughs> <laughs> like, they like didn't call me for it. <laughs> and he was yes, like, I was like, it's fine. Time. I gained weight. I get it. Like <laughs> you. <laughs> and he was like, you need to, he was like, you need help. Like you need to understand why you did that. Like that's really yeah, sad. And crazy. I mean, listen, it's always different. Like I've never trusted anybody in my entire life because that's just, I've never met anyone that I could trust. If I did, I thought they were a loser. And (laughs) I trust Simon with everything. And like, I like to think, and I'm sure you feel the same way. I think, I assume you feel the same way, but I can't speak for you. That like, when you're in the right relationship, all the big stuff, like trust, loyalty, honesty, integrity, um, having each other's back, that stuff is locked in a room and the door, like there's no key to it. Like mm-hmm. we don't touch that stuff. That stuff does not come anywhere near. We don't go anywhere near it. All that like lower middle th- stuff that's not deal breakers. That's the shit that we like mess around with. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> for us doesn't get touched. That's a great so way far. to put it. So far. I mean, you know, we've been married for nine months, but yeah, yeah. I, but we don't fuck with that shit. But it's good that you have those types of standards and rules for yourself. And it's good to maintain that. I had just was in Napa and had like four glasses of wine and didn't hear from him. And I was like, Listen, that doesn't mean I don't pull crazy shit though. I mean, I'm a lunatic. Simon looks at me and he's like, you're so crazy. Like how so unwell. It's so wild. But like, I'm lucky because Simon has like a, like he likes to be a hero. He likes being with like the crazy mm. wife. He likes being the only person that's I can handle you. Mm-hmm. Yes. The only person who can talk me off a ledge. The only person that when I see red, he just diffuses it. He just, he likes that. And it's true. Like he, he just knows how to handle me. And I think he, that makes him feel good that like whatever trauma I've had or whatever trauma I've done to myself or wherever I'm coming from, that he neutralizes it. I love that. Yeah. That's so sweet. No, Partnership. And so what are you doing for work right now? I know you're doing tons of stuff. By the way, every video, I know like every video for real that you post with Sarah 
is the way that you talk to her is so fucking funny. Like, it's like, as someone who's like, I don't, like, I feel like I have like a pretty high window of what I think is like super funny. Not to be like a comedy snob over here. (laughs) But like, when you do your vital proteins videos, you're like, except Sarah, she's obsessed with herself. Like, (laughs) so fun. Those are, you do those all on the fly, huh? Yes. Yeah, yeah, you have to. You can see that she thinks it's funny too. Yeah, she's a good sport. Sarah's <laughs> a good sport because I just fucking lay into her, and every day for her is just a roast. And she, but that's like all an entire childhood of her being able to open up all these doors really easily, and you just being like, "Fuck you, dude!" Exactly. <laughs> you gotta pay the fucking toll for all the love she's had in this life. Uh, yeah, they Sarah and I have. Um, we're lucky that listen. You know how it is. Like you have to post something that's for a brand or whatever and you feel dumb doing it and it's embarrassing. Oh, dumb. It's so embarrassing and you got to yeah. make it cool. But like, you know, it's important to do. And so having uh, someone you can like play off of mm-hmm. and make fun of is really helpful. I mean, there are times that like Sarah gets like paid to do something that I'm not a part of. And she's like, you have to come over here and just make fun of me. You have to, because I don't know what to say. <laughs> I don't know how to do this. Well, like, that's what's, that's what's, I mean, we're so lucky to get jobs like that, but it really is like, it's a company that you love. It's a company you believe in. You want to share with your audience, but you don't want it to look corny or like, like you're doing something that's like outside of your realm. So your followers or the people who love you, like aren't like uncomfortable. And so you have to figure out how to make it you the most that you mm-hmm. can. Mm-hmm. And, and you guys, I understand her doing that because it's just like how it's just you and a phone and all these people on the other side. It's a lot of weird pressure. Yeah, it really is. A lot of people just don't give a shit and they just do this cheesy shit. And like, I know, I can't it. believe it. And just millions of people eat it up. But people you know, like I, it. I, people don't care. They like it. Care. I think so much about not disappointing people. really people. dumb. Like half this country is voting for Trump. Like, we have, to, like really, <laughs> we have to look at like who we're talking about here. <laughs> but, um, but like, I think it's a good reminder that, you know, you have to, you have to set your own path and you have to be authentic to yourself and be genuine. And doesn't matter if it's a branded video or if it's a first date or whatever it is, like you can't look at what the other guy's doing and be like, okay, I'm going to do what they did because it worked for them. What yeah, works for somebody else is never going to work for you. Never. It's going to work, work for someone else. So like early on when Sarah and I would fight with each other on camera, or we would, you know, do a video like that, you'd have people be like, well, you can't do that. You can't be negative about a product. You have to be, you have to, you know, tell talk about how much you love the product. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. That's not authentic. I'm going to be a real person about this. I'm going to joke with my sister about real shit because this is what sisters actually feel like. And eventually people realize that like being sincere and mm-hmm. like genuine, it, I think it's not that it always wins, but like it resonates with people. Absolutely. And you have to be yourself. And it doesn't matter what that means to you. Like it could mean anything. But like, I'm not sitting there thinking about how it's going to sound to someone. I'm just thinking like, just say what you think is funny. Mm-hmm. You know? And, well, and especially as a writer, I can imagine it being hard for someone to be like, okay, you're going to do X, Y, and Z. And you're like, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm it is. And you know, you don't always win that battle. Sometimes you're like, okay, I have to say what about it? Okay. I have to say, uh, I get up in the morning and the first thing I do is, you know, it's like, fuck my life. I just sold out so hard, but I try as hard as I can to, to be genuine. I think the like, like anything in life, it's like, you have to get to know yourself. You have to take time to get to know yourself. And I think that's probably one of the most important parts of being single mm-hmm. is not dating. Dating honestly is so hard and it takes so much away from you because it's so much, so much rejection. And like, you doubt yourself. Am I young enough? Am I skinny enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I tall enough? Am I blonde enough? Am I All these things. But then when you're alone and you like cook dinner for yourself alone and you're proud of something that you made, or mm-hmm. you like have a glass of wine, you watch a documentary and you have nobody to look next to and be like, wasn't that so good? Like <laughs> those are the moments you actually get to know yourself because Absolutely. you're going to watch something that you want to watch. Not something you think somebody wants you to watch, something you actually care about. And you're going to give yourself like information to take out to the world. That's just yours. And like, 
you have to, you learn what you like to do. What kind of books do you like to read? What kind of music do you like to listen to? Do you want to organize your closet? Cause you have nothing else to do. Like, what are you doing with your time? Who are you? What do you care about when nobody's watching you and you're single and you're alone? You like discover those things. It's mm-hmm. so important to figure that out. It all mm-hmm. plays a role in how you work and how you have relationships mm-hmm. and how you have friendships and like, and I how you're going to parent one day too. Yes. And how you're going to parent. Like, that's a huge thing is like, you're, you're the person that's going to fuck up your kid. Like, how are you going to fuck them up? What's your unique special? Like, I don't know. Like, you, you try not to be your own parent sometimes and then you overcorrect and you just, I just think people, especially today with everybody witnessing every move that we make or like, you know, asking for people to watch every move you make, we just sort of like lose ourselves in worrying about what everybody else wants from us. Mm-hmm. And you got to remember like who you are. On that note, thank you. Thank you. That's a lot of great advice. Good. And I'm happy that I can give a little moment to this little, oh my God, like vehicle for women to hear all this. Cause I do think that there are a lot of women right now, especially in, in core that are single yeah. And unfortunately you got to flip this to being a good, a good time to get to know yourself. Oh my God. Yeah. This is a, new, a unique situation. That's for sure. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I'm honored. I'm honored. And <laughs> good luck with everything. And thank you. I'm excited to be able to hear this. I am too. Thank you, Aaron. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes this week's episode of Everything is the Best. I hope you enjoyed it. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. Maybe leave a comment. But remember, shitty comments are for shitty people. Go ahead and follow me on Instagram at Pia Barangini. And I hope you have a fabulous, fabulous rest of your day. Love you. Ciao.